sermon series is entitled Being Made New. And the idea behind the sermon series is this. We've said together as a church family that the world around us is so crazy right now. And we can't control the things that happen in other countries or the things that happen in our own capital or even many of the things that happen in our own community. But as Christians, we do have some control over our response to all the craziness between factions and family and friends. And so in this sermon series, we're asking questions like this. We're asking questions like, how can I become all God wants me to be in the midst of these crazy circumstances where he has me living right now? We're asking questions like that. We're asking questions like, how can I get to the place where I am being made new? That's the new sermon series, Being Made New. And if you haven't been with us or you're like me and you just forget, I'll give you a quick recap. There are four concepts that we have learned so far, and we're just going to be unpacking these concepts as we keep going through the new sermon series. And so there are four concepts. In order to be made new, you need to know about these four things. Number one, the flesh. Specifically, your flesh. We saw it in Romans chapter 7 in the very first sermon in the sermon series. Your translation may call it the sinful nature. The Apostle Paul calls it sin living within us. And as we studied it, we saw that it is vestiges, traces of the old person that we were before we were in Christ Jesus. It's that part of us that has not yet been made new. And we learned in Romans chapter 7 that the flesh, that part of us that has not been made new, wages war against us anytime we try to do something godly or spiritual. So we learned that this effort to be made new is going to be a fight against our flesh, which opposes anything godly or spiritual in us. That's the first concept you need to know, the flesh. Number two, you need to know the concept of God's law. We saw that in Romans 7 as well, that it's good, that it's holy, that it's pure, that God's law shows us the right way to live. It condemns us when we don't live that way and we fall short of it. And God's law shows us what being made new is supposed to look like, right? It's supposed to look like what God says in his law. We're not just going to be made new in any way that we want to be made new. We're supposed to be made new in a way that is consistent with with God's law. Now we saw in Romans 7 the problem with the law is it doesn't give us any power to be made new. It shows us what being made new looks like but there's no power there that enables us to be made new. And so that comes to the third concept you need to know. A new heart. We looked last week at Jeremiah chapter 31. We've looked at Ezekiel chapter 36. And we've seen that when we come to Christ, he takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us a soft heart. And this new heart desires to walk in God's ways. Our new heart delights in God's law, Romans 7 told us. And so we get this new heart so that we want to do what is right. We delight in God's law, but the new heart does not give us the ability to do so. It just 
creates this tension. It just creates this fight with our flesh as we get a new heart. And so, where Romans 7 is about our inability to do what is right, even though we desire to because of our new heart, even though we see what it looks like because of God's law, we're prevented from doing so by our flesh, and so Romans 7 is about our inability to do what's right, our powerlessness. Romans 8 is about that fourth thing you need to know. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to be made new. So our flesh fights against being made new. God's law shows us what it looks like to be made new. Our new heart gives us the desire to be made new. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be made new. You want to be made new? You want to change? The Holy Spirit is the power that we have to do that. The Christian life is life in the Spirit. Life created by, life directed by, life animated by, empowered by, sustained by the Holy Spirit. Now how does that happen? What does that look like? Let's dig in and look at that together. We're unpacking that fourth concept now. The Holy Spirit. How does he empower us to live life as it was designed to be lived? Let me pray for us and we'll dig in in Romans 8. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us all these means to be made new. And I just pray that you would be at work now. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Without your work, there is no conviction of sin. Without your work, we don't see that we need to be made new. Holy Spirit, without your work, we don't have a desire to be made new. Holy Spirit, without your work, we don't have the ability to be made new. And so I pray that you would come now, and you would do the work that only you can do, and that you'd be willing to use even the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher to accomplish your purposes and your people. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How does the Holy Spirit give us power to be made new? Number one, we have to know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's where he starts. Romans 8, verse 1, look at it. Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at that for a minute. He says, therefore, right? So we know he's drawing a conclusion from what went on before, right? So he still has in mind this struggle with the flesh that we see in Romans 7, right? He's saying, look, Christian, I understand that your flesh is opposing being made new. It is opposing anything godly. And I know that you have my law that shows you what it's supposed to look like, and you feel condemned by that. I know you even have a new heart that, that makes you desire to want to do the right thing, and you delight in God's law, but you can't do it. And it's frustrating. And the first thing we have to learn is there's no condemnation in that if you were in Christ Jesus. You see, what happens is we feel like if we're this Christianity thing's not working for us, I want to do what's right, but I can't, and so we just quit. We feel dirty. We feel like we can't come before a holy God. And many of us just quit. We just give up. 
And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is assures us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That struggle does not mean that you're condemned. Listen to me. That struggle means that you're in the race. That struggle means that you've been given a new heart. That struggle means that you are being made new. If you don't feel the struggle, then you need to be concerned. If you don't fight that fight, that's when you need to be concerned. But the Holy Spirit begins by assuring us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice he says now. There is therefore now no condemnation. I'm not talking about in the future. I'm not talking about at the judgment day. We're talking about now, that in the midst of this fight, God's not looking at you saying, Oh my gosh, you're a mess. You are, <laughs> but that's not what he's saying. He's not condemning us for that. He's welcoming that. He's saying, yes, this child is what it looks like to be made new as a child of God. And the Holy Spirit has to convince us of that for us to even enter the fight. Now, how is this possible? How can people who want to do the right thing but don't do the right thing, how can they come before a holy God? How can that even happen? Well, keep reading. We're going to look at verse 2 in a minute. There's some freedom that comes there, but I want you to look at verse 3 because that tells us how there's no condemnation for those who are in the midst of this struggle. Verse 3, for God has done... What the law, remember the law, we said it's good, it shows us what's right, but God's done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, right? The law couldn't save us. The law couldn't make us right. It just condemned us. It just showed us what we were supposed to be but couldn't be. So God has done what the law could not do because it was weakened by our flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. The reason you are not condemned is because God took your sin, your falling short of the law, and he put that sin on Jesus. And when Jesus died on a cross, he took the wrath of God. He took the condemnation for your sin. That's why there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Your sin's already been paid for. It's already been atoned for. Paul said something similar in Romans 5 and verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified, this idea of justification, that's just the positive part. And no condemnation is saying the same thing in a negative way, right? He's saying that you've been justified by faith in Christ. What justified? Maybe you've heard the definition that's easy to remember, right? That it's just if I'd never sinned. And I suppose that's good to remind people what it means to be justified or what justification is like. It's actually better than that, okay? It's not just just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I had always complied with the law. Just as if I had always done what is right. Out of pure motives. Because not only did Jesus take our sin on the cross, but we get credit for his perfect record. So the Holy Spirit, which Romans 5, 5 says he's the one that convinces us of our justification, we have to be convinced that we're justified, that there's no condemnation for us 
so that we will come to God, so that we will walk with him. It's what the text says if you keep reading in Romans. When you get into verse 33 and 34, he asks the question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He's saying there's no charge. There's nobody who can condemn us. There's no accusation that can stand against God's people. Why? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you get the picture? If we're a child of God... We're trying to do what's right. We're fighting against the flesh, but we're failing. We're not meeting what the law requires us to do. And it's saying, look, there's no condemnation for that. It's just as if I had never sinned. It's just as if I had always done what is right. Why? Because because Christ died. Because he was raised again. And because he stands, he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. You know what that means? That means when I mess up again, Jesus is there at the right hand, and he's saying there's no condemnation for this because I've already paid the penalty for that sin. That means Jesus is interceding. That means he says, that means he's saying, when, when Keith commits a sin, he's saying, I've already paid for Keith's sin. There's no condemnation. There's no accusation for that. But it means that he intercedes, that he's there before the throne of God. So that when Randall sins and he falls short, Jesus is there interceding, saying that sin that Randall did, it's already been paid for. It's what we sang when we sang, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, that means they work. They ever plead for me, forgive, oh, forgive, they cry. Don't let the ransomed sinner die. This is an important point to get, and here's why. For many of us, if we're going to be made new, we've got to first admit how bad it really is, right? Go through any 12-step program, that's one of the first steps, right? We've got to admit how bad the problem really is. But for some of us, we are so worried about condemnation from God or from others, we won't admit how bad it is. And it's not until we get to the point that we see there is no condemnation for our sin that we can even be honest about how broken we are. And it is at that point when we can finally be honest, maybe for the first time about how broken we really are, that we can begin the process of being made new. Until then, we're just putting band-aids on an old problem. That's why it begins with this assurance that there's no condemnation, as Romans 8.1 says. That there's justification, Romans 8.1 says. If you read the verses after this, it's why the Spirit testifies with our spirit that he bears witness that we're children of God. Because we have to have that assurance before we can even begin this process of being made new. It's the first thing you need to know. There's no condemnation. There's justification. Number two, Ooh, there's liberation. There's some freedom here, right? What's verse two say? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
Now remember, we saw in Romans 7 that Paul uses the law as a metaphor, right? He's saying there's a principle that's true. There's this principle, this law of sin that's at work in me. Whenever I try to do what's right, it wars against my flesh. And he says, who will save me from this body of death? And so here he's saying, look, there is some freedom, and the Spirit's mentioned for the first time, right? For the law of the Spirit of life, for this principle of the Spirit, this power that that the Spirit brings as he brings life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He set you free from that cycle in Romans 7. So what does he set us free from? Well, he set us free from looking to the law to be justified, right? I don't have to keep the law perfectly in order to be made right with God. Jesus has made me right with God. Now I'm concerned with the law because I, that's what being made new looks like, and I want to walk the safe path. I want to live life the way God designed it to be lived. So there's freedom from having to keep the law in order to be saved, in order to be justified. But there's also freedom, from that vicious cycle of Romans 7 where I know what is right because I have the law, I desire what is right because I have a new heart, but I don't have the ability to carry out what is right because of my flesh. And so there's freedom from that. Do you see that? He tells us in verse 4 that there's this freedom because Jesus died, because he rose again. And in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to keep God's law. If you were with us last week, that's what we learned. What's new about the new covenant? What's new about the new covenant? Jeremiah 31. It's not like the old covenant because we broke the old covenant, right? Because we didn't have the ability to keep it. But God writes his law in our heart. As Romans 7 says, we have this in my inner being. I delight in God's law. I see that it's right. I want to do what it says. And then verse 4 says, and now the Spirit gives us power to walk in God's ways. It's what we saw in Ezekiel 36 and verse 27, right? Verse 26 says, he'll take away a heart of stone, he'll give us a heart of flesh. And then verse 27 says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Let me just mention one thing quickly. There are a lot of people who teach that the new covenant means I don't have to worry about the law anymore. That is not accurate. Okay. Yes, we don't have to keep the law in order to be made right with God because Jesus has done everything necessary to make me right with God. That's true under the new covenant. But it's not like the law doesn't matter anymore. The whole thing that's new about the new covenant is that God gives us his spirit so that we can walk in his ways. (laughs) That's what's new about the new covenant. Think about that. Just think about that for me. Let me just slow down and think about that. God sent his son to die for us. Jesus left the perfection of heaven, came here to be mistreated and misunderstood. The Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit into us, yes, so that there's forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord, that I'm forgiven, that there's no condemnation. Yes, so that I can go to heaven when I die, and he'll talk about that in in verses 10 and 11 in a minute. But also, he did all that so that I would walk in his ways. 
That's part of it. It's so that I would reflect more and more what his law looks like, that my life would more and more be characterized by God's law, that I would look more and more like Jesus who walked in God's ways perfectly. In fact, that's what this Romans 8 says. We love verse 28, right? What is verse 28 says? And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. We like that. All things are working together for And listen, that is true. If you're in Christ Jesus, all things are working together for your good. <laughs> but he talks about what good is. I want to insert there what I think good is. No, no. All things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Good is looking more like Jesus. Good is being conformed to the image of Christ, that I would look more like him. That's the whole point. Oh, my. Let me just tell you the heart behind this sermon series. Here it is. I'm concerned that people have started the Christian life. But they don't know about the flesh. They don't know that there's a part of them that is opposing any good or spiritual thing in them. They've got a new heart. They delight in God's law. They want to do what's right, but they can't do it. And so we just quit. We just stop. We wonder if being made new is even possible. We go to community groups and we think, they seem to be, you know, this is working for them. They're being made new. I'm just not seeing any kind of results. And so we quietly withdraw and bow out, coming to the conclusion that this Christianity just doesn't work for us. It's the heart behind this sermon series. That you need to know that being made new will be a fight against your flesh. That being made new means that we're going to look more like Jesus. That's what the goal is. And it's going to be a fight. But you also need to know that being made new is possible. Oh, you can't do it. Read Romans 7 and verse 18. You don't have the ability to carry it out. Oh, but by God's Spirit in us, then we're enabled to. So I call you today, fight against your flesh. Fight it. And walk by the Spirit of God. Now, maybe you're with me. Maybe you're saying, yes, I want to be made new. I have the desire. I understand that God's law, that's what it looks like to be made new. I'm with you. I want that. Question, how do I walk by the Spirit? It's a good question. There's a lot of ink spilled about that. There are whole books written by that. I don't know, Randall might recommend one. I think J.I. Packer's Keeping Step with the Spirit is probably the best thing I've ever read on the topic. But you're probably not going to read a whole book. So let's look at one verse. Verse 5. He's just talked about if you walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, you can fulfill God's commands. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's how you walk by the Spirit. You hear that? Verse 5 says it. 
that in order to walk by the Holy Spirit, you must set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It is a mindset. It is a renewing of our mind. He'll say a transforming of our mind in Romans 12. It's a mindset. So let me just ask you, what do you set your mind on? Just think about that. If, if a typical day for you is you get up and you read or listen to the news, you go to work and you do your job, you come home and you watch TV or a movie, and then you go to bed at night and you get up the next morning and do the same thing, you're probably not going to be made new. And that's because you are not setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do anything secular. I don't believe there is anything that is separate from Christ Jesus. But what I'm saying is this. What if you read the Scripture to shape your mind before you listen to the news so that you had a lens to hear it through? And what if of the podcasts you listened to, some of them were a sermon or some of them were just a short prayer that you listened to in your car or you listened to Scripture? Just some of the podcasts were spiritual in nature so that you were setting your mind on spiritual things. I'm not saying only listen to Christian music. I'm saying some of it probably should be if we want to set our minds on spiritual things. Then we have a grid or a lens that we take in the TV shows or the movies that we watch. You may say, is it that easy? Is that easy? No, it's not. It's going to be a fight against your flesh. It's easy to watch a movie or binge watch a TV show because your flesh isn't fighting against you. Listen, your flesh is going to fight against this. No, it's not easy. But the text says if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, then we can walk by the Spirit. But if we don't, we won't. And I want you to see, he goes on to say, I don't want to be dramatic, but I mean, this is what he's saying. He's saying, what you set your mind on has eternal consequences. Look at verses 6 through 8. He says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it cannot, it does not submit to God's law. It cannot, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Woo, ouch. Listen, to not set your mind on spiritual things means you will not please God. You will not walk in his ways. You cannot. I mean, you know, I see a lot of black and I see a lot of gray in the world, but this is not, I mean, this is black and white, right? If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. But look at what that second part of six says, right? Do you see it there? But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Setting our mind on spiritual things leads to real life. It leads to to peace in our hearts. He said the same thing in Romans 5. He's going to say the same thing in Romans 15 in the benediction today. That there's peace here. That there's a peace available to us. Oh, church, we lack so much peace in our hearts. And I'm not talking about the world out there. 
I'm talking about people who claim to be followers of Jesus in here. We lack peace. We are worried and anxious about many things, Jesus said to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious about many things. And I, I think that characterizes us. And so much about the church is no different than the people outside. We get divorces at the same rate. We look at internet pornography at the same rate. There's no distinction between people in the church and people in the world. And you, you want to know why? Because we're operating in our flesh and not in the spirit. That's the reason why. Oh, but do you hear the good news? Do you hear? Look at that second part of 6 again. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be made new? How does that happen? I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit loves to use what we call path. The reason we put that together is because that's what the Holy Spirit loves to use. He loves to use prayer and being in the Word every day. That's the P. He loves to use your attendance on Sunday as you come and the words that you say and that you sing remind you what is true. As you hear the Word preached, He uses it to work in your heart. He loves to use your taking time to be in some kind of a small group so that in Christian community your mind is being renewed and you're taking time to work out what it looks like to go to work or to be in a family and to set your mind on spiritual things. The Holy Spirit loves to use those things. So I call you to them. Notice another couple of things before... We stop. Look at verse 9. Notice what verse 9 says about the indwelling spirit in us. You see what it says? You, however, are not in the flesh. Oh, that's good. But you're in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You hear what he's saying? He's saying every true Christian has the indwelling Holy Spirit. All of us, if we're really a Christian, and if you don't have the Spirit, you really don't belong to Christ at all. And what that means is that this indwelling Spirit is a gift from God that all believers have when we first repent and believe. That's why we repent and believe, is because the Spirit comes and does His work. And so if you've truly believed and repented, then you have the Spirit. Now listen. Go back and listen to my preaching on Acts. Like we talked about, there may be fuller, richer experiences of the Holy Spirit as we grow in our faith. There can be fresh anointings of the Spirit for specific tasks that God gives us to do. But this personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit is given to all believers at the very beginning of our relationship with God. It is not a later experience that we have in the Christian life. Here's why that's important. Because all descendants of Adam, that's all of us, have the flesh, this indwelling sin in us. But if you are in Christ Jesus, then you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you. And it's there to fight against the indwelling sin in you. It's there to fight your flesh. That's the good news. Listen to me. You have means to fight against the flesh. And it's the Spirit. And He works in us more as we set our mind on Him. Listen, 
that's the good news here. There is a me- there's a way out of Romans 7. There's a way out of that cycle. And it's by walking by the Spirit, which comes by setting our mind on Him. And He is in you if you are a believer. And the Scripture says, Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. So you can be made new because of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you two important things about that, and I'll stop. So the Holy Spirit's in every believer. What difference does it make? I'm going to show you one thing that makes a difference in the future and one thing now, and I'll stop. This chapter's so rich, we could look at this for days. Thank you for it. You understand, yes. What difference does it make in the future? What difference does it make now to have this indwelling spirit? Future, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you... Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In case we say in the future, or even now, he tells us we're outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being made new. But our bodies, because of sin, are breaking down. And one day, if the Lord tarries, Your body will stop working. But if you have the Spirit in you, the promise is at some point in the future, the Spirit's going to raise you back up. He's going to make you alive. There's a resurrection for you in the future. He talks about that more in Romans 8. Keep reading in the chapter if you want to know more about that. That's what we get in the future. But he talks about something that we have now. Look at verses 12 and 13. What, what difference does the indwelling spirit make now? Verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Oh, my, there's so many sermons in that. Let's just point out a couple of things. Right now, we're debtors, right? We owe a great debt. And many of us, when you hear me say that, you immediately think, I have a debt because of my sin. And if you are not in Christ, you have a huge debt because of your sin. If you are in Christ, that is not your debt anymore. If you're in Christ, the debt is not your sin. No, 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 a thousand times no. If you're in Christ, what's the debt? We owe a great debt, but it's not to the flesh. The flesh no longer has any claim on us. There's no condemnation. There's no accusation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what's the debt if I'm a believer? We owe the flesh nothing. Our debt, our obligation is to the spirit of Christ Jesus. To live according to his desires. To live according to his law because we owe him everything. We're about to sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It's the only debt we as believers owe. So right now we are debtors. We owe Jesus everything. And listen to the flow of thought in that. He's saying, look, if the indwelling Holy Spirit has given us life, and verse 10 says that he has, then we can't possibly live according to the flesh. Such inconsistency between who we are now and how we live is unthinkable. Unless we don't think about it. (laughs) Unless we don't set our minds on spiritual things. 
then we just drift and we're in our flesh. But when we think about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, applied by the Holy Spirit, we are motivated out of gratitude for all he has done. So we need to think about it more often. And look at what verse 13 says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is very important. If I've lost you, come back. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He's saying right now, there is a kind of life that leads to death. And there is a kind of death that leads to life. That sounds good. What does that mean? It's kind of cryptic, right? Here's what it means. This world is telling us that life is found in self-indulgence. That life is found in satisfying ourselves. That life is found in pleasing ourselves. That life is found in self-centers and being curved in on ourselves. That's what the world's going to tell you life is found. And listen to me. Verse 13 says, that is the way to death. Because to be focused on yourself means you're separated from God and you're not walking by the Spirit. But putting to death the sin that lives inside of us, that's the death that we're called for that leads to life. Putting to death that sin, fighting against the flesh, is the way to real, genuine life as God designed it to be lived. How do we do that? We saw in verse 5, set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And then verse 13 tells us something else to do. If you're practical, what do I do? Here it is, verse 13. What does he say? He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's the idea of mortification, putting something to death. It's a metaphor. He's not saying to kill yourself, literally. What is he saying? He's saying to put to death, to mortify, to end, to stop every use of your body, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands and feet, to stop every bit of the use of those things, using them to please yourself instead of pleasing God and serving other people. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's something you do. You've got to fight to put it to death. But what does he say before that? If by the Spirit you put to death those things, something the Spirit enables us to do. Only the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to put those things to death, the determination to do it, the discipline to do it, to reject self. Listen to me. It's going to be a fight, and it feels like death, and it is a death of sorts. Oh, but it's a death that leads to life, and we finally really live as God made us to live. So, Christian, I call you today. To set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That's how you walk by the Spirit. And by the Spirit to put to death all the deeds of the flesh. And you'll truly live. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Oh, Heavenly Father. We don't understand what it means to walk by the Spirit. Would you teach us? Help us just to set our mind on spiritual things. Help us to do that more consistently, more often. Not to 
please Pastor Scott or to please you, but just so that we can walk in your ways, have peace in our hearts, and really live life as you designed it to be lived. Heavenly Father, we don't have the power to put to death, to mortify, to stop serving ourselves. Only you can do that. Holy Spirit, come and enable us. Help us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to focus on spiritual things so that we might live. Please come and do that in your people. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.